This podcast was recorded before the coronavirus pandemic and contains strong language and adult themes. I'm Wasim Imam Saheb and this is the Roti Riot and my co-host. Hi, this is Shazia Prime. And we are so excited for this week's episode. Yeah, we're talking Bollywood, so we decided to talk about Bollywood, how Bollywood has shaped our lives. What are our favorite movies? We're going to try and leave the problematicness of Bollywood aside and pretend like it isn't problematic because we know it is deeply problematic. Mm. But let's just pretend for the next few minutes it isn't. Yeah. Mm. So, Shaz, hit me with your Bollywood. Who's your favorite actor? Who's your What's your favorite movies that you keep going back to and you keep rewatching? Listen, I literally cannot answer that question yet because when you're talking to me, the what ruined Bollywood for me was. Buzzfeed Iman Sheikh have you read no. what she does so what she does is she literally takes a movie say Devdas and she memes the entire movie by speaking about everything that's problematic so say no. so there were so many movies that i thought were so amazing when i was like a young impressionable girl little shazia like i used to love mujhse dosti karogi I don't even don't give me that look. I used to, okay? What must happen? No, I I I don't I, I'm looking at you because I have a folder where I keep the the movies the old movies that I that, that I really like and I rewatch them whenever I'm bored. Uh <laughs> That's so the, cute. Mr. Dutty Karoke is one of the ones that are there. And that's when you look when you said it I'm like, "Oh god. I don't want to know about this BuzzFeed buzz and I don't want to know cuz I don't want it to be ruined. I don't want the dream to be ruined." <gasps> Please go check her out. Everybody go check out Iman Shakes no, BuzzFeed. Don't Check out! I forbid Let's. you. Don't ruin your Bollywood dream. Don't ruin. It's really funny though. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I'm not gonna do it. Probably <laughs> gonna do it, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm okay, so what are your top five classics? Uh, you go first. Okay, they are problematic. Heads yeah, up, they're obviously. problematic. Yeah, uh, obviously. So I love Dil to Pagal Hai. <gasps> Sorry, that is like my top. I love the movie so much. I watched the movie. It's one of my favorite movies when I'm like bored or I'm feeling like emo and I want to feel like I want to have like a self pity party for myself. So I watch it and I watch it mainly because I I, I identify with Karishma Kapoor's character so much in the movie and the fact that same <laughs> and her that, fashion sense. Yeah, but also the fact that she always gets left behind in the movie. And I feel the same because like when my when I think about my dating life. I know I just, I okay, I get attention or whatever people people don't know that I'm not actually very successful when it comes to dating I get I get like I get the charisma treatment in Dilto Pagal like no one really likes me and everyone that I like never Aww. likes me so I'm always that I'm always playing that role in my life when it comes to dating and stuff so even if I'm in a relationship with someone they always add in a relationship with me because I'm just really pretty and that's it there's no feelings and suddenly they realize oh I'm not really in love with Wasim I'm really in love with someone else and then they'll move on to that someone else mm-hmm. so like that was one of the the first moves that I always go to uh uh yaar ki shaadi is also very problematic but i love it because it's a indie indian remake of my best friend's wedding with yeah. Julia Roberts which is also one of my old, like hollywood all favorite movies which yeah. i love um and uh i'm trying to think of others i like vire the wedding i don't know if you watched it no, it's I didn't. it's with sonu kapoor and kareena kapoor it's quite new it's released in the past few years it's very new age sort of like um one of the hollywood rough night you know girl movie Girl power. It is problematic, deeply problematic. I'm not denying all these movies on the list are problematic, <laughs> but um, uh, it's 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 a fun movie because it, again, it's it's I don't you don't get just it focuses on women. It's not so much about the men, and I enjoy the, the narratives when it comes to women being in the role in the focus. That was one of the things I didn't like about Mirjam Shadi because they flipped it around and made it about a male perspective, whereas in the Hollywood version it's about from a woman's perspective. Mm. Another movie that I like is Adil Hai Mushkil, which again Karan Johar is very problematic, and uh, that whole movie was problematic. Shame, but it was so. Guys, I love Ranbir Kapoor, and I know really? even IRL, he's problematic. I find him so I, delicious. I don't really care for him. That movie is very problematic. But I, again, I identify with Ashwarya Rai's character and the fact that I'm someone that just finds love. So generally, if there's a movie where there's a triangle and someone gets left behind, I was thinking <laughs> likes that movie. But those are the the movies that come to mind about that I that I uh, watch from Bollywood and I rewatch again. 
Okay, I'm obviously gonna leave five million off the list because I have so many favorites. But just like the ones that yeah. I didn't mention. But like besides Delto Pago here, I love Kuch Kuch Hota no, here. No, I'm sorry, that I one. That's the most problematic. The I'm one. sorry, I love you? that. I don't know, film. but you, you see, the thing is, like with the movies that I mentioned, I'm not trying to diss your, your choice here, but I am trying to diss yours. <laughs> At least with my list, you can you can ignore the problematicness, but with Kuch Kuch Hota here, you can never ignore the problematics because it's so deeply part of the story. I feel like you're just being so mean to me right now because <laughs> I didn't criticize. I can criticize Devdas for days. Hey, I can write a book. <laughs> I can literally because you've seen the Iman Sheikh thread. That's why you can write a book. Besides Guys, don't, that, don't, 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 I like, I liked it, and I loved Ye Jawani Hai Diwani because that. oh my gosh, because I really identify with Ranbir's character. He literally just wanted to leave and travel mm. and see the world, and that's like I love that so much. Gosh, there's like so many. Unfortunately, I used to really love Shah Rukh Khan. I don't understand. I've never not been him. A, I've never been a not fan. him as a as a um, as an actor. I've never found him a sex symbol. But I found you. Yeah. Um, but I really found that the movies he's acted in really like comforting to me. I kabi khushi guys. You know how many times I've watched. I hate that movie. I'm sorry. Oh, it's too happy but clappy. How can you like that? It is so happy clappy and everybody so please cringe. witness how Wasim is criticizing all of my choices when I allowed him to <laughs> be and to have choices. <laughs> sorry, I love that movie because Karina Kapoor is an institution in that movie. Poo. She literally she literally taught me about you how you can face. be yourself. I hated her character. I flippin' love her I hated her the whole movie. I just, I found it so, it was one of the most cringe-worthy movies of all time. I've watched it once and that was enough. There's certain movies that I've watched once and I never want to see ever again. And Kuch Kabi Kuch Kabi Kabi is one of them. Kuch Kuch Hota is another one. That, but the thing is, like with Bollywood, I love the songs. The songs I can go back. I actually have a playlist that I listen to every day. Thank you so much. Anyway, as I was saying, and my last favorite movie is Queen. And Queen, What's oh Queen? my gosh, it's with Kangana. No, oh, and I love that movie no, so I much. Hate, so basically, I can't, I can't stand that woman. No, so basically, what happens in this movie is that she's supposed to get married, and it's an arranged marriage. But unfortunately, mm. the guy, well, fortunately, the guy breaks off the marriage. But then she goes on the honeymoon by herself, and this little journey of self-discovery. This girl from the village that's now going to Europe and having these experiences and staying in a hostel and all of those things. I flip and love that because. It's so beautiful, and I rewatch it all the time because it's my happy movie. So yeah, those are my movies, and I basically love Deepika. show Faraz Ari Pansari. Thank you so First, much. Excited to be here. So Faraz uh, Ari Pansari is an Indian filmmaker and uh, he created and directed and produced a movie. Your first movie, your first movie was the first Indian silent movie, Sisak. Yeah. And it went on to win and it is now the first ever Indian film to have won 59 international awards. Yeah, that's impressive. It's insane, actually. And the film is yeah. absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. I, it's beautiful. I couldn't believe there was so much emotion in a silent film. It's beautiful. Thank you. No, thank you so how, much. How, I mean, how did you come up with the story for that? You know, I think um, like all stories are I think this was born out of a lot of personal experience a lot of personal um, grief that I was going through personally in life because uh, when I I decided to join uh, the Indian film industry um, it was a conscious decision that I want to hero films about LGBTQIA characters in that sense so when I decided to make my first feature film after having worked in Bollywood extensively on really big films the idea was to make a hardcore 
queer film that celebrates queer people for who we are and not just kind of, you know, makes a mockery out of them. I wanted it to be a slice of life, true representation of the queer community. And I think nobody was ready back in the day. You know, nobody wanted to either give it support or give it time or give it money for that matter. And uh, that's where I realized that to make a feature film, which is queer, it's going to be really difficult in India. And, and this is way back in 2014, 2015, you know, when Section 377 was around, was still around. And that's when I decided that if nobody's going to help me, I need to help myself. You know, sometimes the biggest help that you can find in life is you. And uh, I kind of had to sell my car. I put my apartment on rent and uh, I went ahead and, you know, with that money, I went out and I made Sisak. So it was pretty um, scary. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was because everyone was like, you're taking a big risk. You know, you're making a you're making a queer film. On top of it, it is a silent film. Nobody's going to watch it. You're not going to make any money. You're going to lose it all. And I yeah. think, but I believe in it, you know, and I think that counts for something, you know, that counts for uh, a risk that probably you can take in life. So I think uh, I did that. I I woke up at four in the morning one night and I said, I need to take this risk. You know, I need to go out and I need to make this film. I was aching to make the film and I'm so glad I did. You know, looking back at it, it just seems like such a good experience that I went out and I actually had the courage to make it. Although it was absolutely very scary, but um, I think, uh, yeah, uh, also I think every revolution in uh, cinema begins with one crazy, insane step of, you know, courage that you just go out and just do it, you know, not waiting, not caring really. So, yeah. And the challenges outside of what you've just given us, like in terms of like, I think you said you sold your car, you, you know, you put your apartment on rent and... Outside of the financial challenges, how how was it finding actors to act even in, in mm, the project? And, and were you afraid of uh, what Indian society might respond to the film? Since it was so, um, you know, ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, especially because we know that outside of India, we whenever we see Indian cine- cinema goes, seems to have a very passionate response to certain uh, kinds of movies that are made. So that's why, uh, like, what are the challenges? So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I lost out a lot, a lot of so-called friends. Uh, they all decided to not be friends with me anymore the day I decided to make a queer film, which is very mainstream, you know. It's not uh, in the, it's not arty, you know, and that was their worry. But they were like, why are you getting into the space which is, you know, so cisgendered? Why do you want to bring in the queer here? You know, we are getting uncomfortable with what you're doing and we are worried for you. So when people are worried for you in a parallel universe or in the right universe they should support you but here people actually stopped being friends with me they were like we don't want to know you anymore you know you do you and that was kind of weird but I think reality checks in life are very essential and important they come at the right time um mentally it was absolutely draining I I remember when the trailer of Sisak came out my email was flooded with threats my Instagram was flooded with threats my Twitter was raging with threats because I think in the world we live in, to show films about war is way easier than to show films about love, especially when it is the queer-centric love. And that kind of really made me realize how important Sisak was, you know, and continues to be even now, you know. And um, I think... Um, yeah, uh, it was. I mean, I had coffee splashed on my face once. Uh, I was at a, I was at an airport about to go for a screening of Sisak, and the very same uh, on the very same day, there was a newspaper, a leading newspaper in India, that was carrying an article of me, and there was a big picture of me on the front page. And I remember I was taking a picture to send it to my mum, and as I was just about to take the picture, I had like hot coffee splashed on my face. And when I looked up, there was a man, and he said, "People like you should be." killed for making such films and uh, so yeah it is uh, it is a risk it is very scary but I think um, sometimes somebody's got to do it right somebody's got to do it we can't just be uh, waiting for others to take the onus and make a change we have to do it ourselves so I think that's pretty important and has has public attitude sort of changed ever since Section 377 got struck down uh, two years ago now, was it? Yeah, what is I, the sense? 
India. Yeah. So I think uh, you know I must also share this. Out of the fifty nine awards that Sitak has won, yeah. we've not won a single award in India. Wow, oh, that's so awful. Yeah, that's awful because we do have a queer film festival in in Bombay as well in 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 Mumbai, which totally refused to acknowledge Sisak, although we were selected for the festival. And here's the bigger point, right? Because I identify as a Muslim, uh, the queer person. and this festival is very right winged in that sense although it's queer but it's still very right wing it's very hindu uh, pro hindu so understand the amount of uh, weightage that one has to go through to make a queer film with a with a faith identity involved you know it just becomes a bigger gamut that one is talking about and a lot of people are not talking about it you know a lot of people are afraid to talk about the fact that the queer community itself is very uh, islamophobic you know across yeah, across the spectrum so uh, i've seen I, it online because yeah. we both belong to similar online spaces and so it's it's heavy it's like uh it's i wish i could describe them it's like they are a lot like trump like trump supporters they they very right wing like very wow. very very right wing it's yeah. it's actually sad and frustrating and also very crazy i, I don't really know how to explain it. yeah so and yeah so i mean it was kind of totally ignored and uh, coming back to your question about 377 really having changed you know i think the question here or the point to be discussed here mostly is about privilege something that we don't really address especially in the queer community is that if you are a person of privilege with 377 without 377 i was still doing what i wanted to i was still dating who i wanted to i was still having sex with who i wanted to because privilege is involved a great deal of privilege is involved but the minute you take privilege out of the equation and you still talk about the queer community you realize that there are massive communities especially the trans community that is living on the edges of the society who are still being persecuted under indecent behavior and being bribed and put behind bars for being trans you know i mean there's nothing uh, indecent about being a trans person you know but they are being put behind bars for being trans so really the question is again about privilege and how the privileged queer people are going to use their privilege to protect the ones who don't have privilege that's where i think the question is and i realized that when i i made sasak i started seeing the queer community very closely and all these little hidden dynamics started surfacing up you know and i realized if i have some amount of the privilege i decided to actually start a empowerment and acting workshops for the trans community in india and we have done three uh, editions of it and we've had like more than 100 trans people who've come for these workshops that have been held over 3 days across uh, delhi and mumbai and they have done exceedingly well and most of them are i think out of the 100 people who showed up for the three uh, sessions some have found employment uh, in mainstream corporates uh, some have found acting jobs some have found modeling jobs so there is so much translation happening but it's so sad that a per- a queer person of privilege had to step up in the game to provide a platform for the trans community you know so that itself i mean really makes me sit back and think that why are we not using our privileges enough you know if we have a voice we need to raise it and i think um, these realizations and to talk about these little things within the queer diaspora is also very important to address you know because that's that's where the true change is going to come it's not going to come by you know the privilege talking about the underprivileged is going to come from the fact that the privilege actually step out of their privilege and do something very constructive for the underprivileged you know from the from the queer community as well space about making space yeah. occupy space yeah. and make space for this to come absolutely yeah absolutely speaking of that actually you've been pretty vocal about the recent protests against the citizen amendment act right yeah. how has that been what is What is the climate like yeah, with think, regard to those? Yeah, I think I think break down the CAA for people in South Africa and outside of India who don't really know exactly what's going on and give us the gist of what's going on now and going forward, yeah. Mm. 
I think uh, what is happening is uh, the government that was elected is obviously everyone at the back of their heads were aware of what they were voting. You know, there is great deal of Islamophobia, which is at play here. I mean, they have they have voted them for a reason. It's not just development because there is no development. I mean, to pick up any report by the uh, the World Bank or anywhere, the economy is crashing, you know. So it wasn't really about economics. Nobody wanted development really, you know, because India has a very chalta hai attitude. It's fine. You know, we are okay with whatever's going on. So this was purely uh, an uh, anti-Islam vote that happened. And I feel the government was brought into that. And, and look at the amount of damage they have achieved in six years. You know, there's been demonetization, which was a very big thing, which again affected. And I think it's not just about being anti-Islamic. It's also about being uh, anti-underprivileged, you know. They don't, I mean, yeah. it is a very privileged, it, it's a government that works for the privileged, you know. The privileged are getting richer, the poor are dying on the streets, literally, you know. I was, I remember when demonetization happened in India, there were so many people, so many senior citizens who were dying, standing in queues for banks because they have all the monies that they have collected and, you know, saved for decades has just been declared it's not valid. How can you do that overnight? How can you do that? It's just inhuman. It's just absolutely inhuman. So I think, uh, of course, the CA has brought into light something, you know, out in the open, the agenda that this government is really driving forward, you know, the agenda which is anti-Muslim. And I feel the fact that now people have started protesting on the streets and everything. We should have done this way back when Kashmir was being totally isolated, you know. What were we doing then? We weren't really worried about it because Kashmir doesn't bother us, you know. It's way up in the country. Nobody cares. It's not affecting your day-to-day living. So we didn't really stand up. But the minute CAA and NRC was brought up into the conversation, people started realizing that shit is hitting the roof now, you know. And if we don't step out now, in less than a year, we're all going to be illegal citizens just because of the faith that one worships or, you know, the the kind of sector of society that you belong to. You're going to lose it all. And for what? For a government that you voted for? For a government that you're paying taxes to? Is going to declare you you're a non-citizen because of the faith you follow? It's absolutely rubbish. So I think it was about time that people took onto the streets. And right now also I think uh, there's great amount of the protest happening across the country. What's happening at Shaheen, uh, Shaheen Bagh in Delhi is absolutely incredible uh, because I feel that the women. Am I, am I correct? Am I, you can correct me. There's a lot, there's a huge uh, woman presence in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in the true sense, what uh, the CAA NRC has really done, it, it has done is that it has put women, uh, the women populace right up in the revolution, you know, which I think is so incredible, you know. It's also brought in a great deal of unity exactly what happened in america you know in trump's america like i remember he actually ended up uniting a great deal of people who were kind of on the fence you know whether they want to be um you know non uh, democrats or whatever they chose a side it asked them to choose a side in the public domain which is now happening in india too so the the minute you elect a fascist government, by default, what happens is the public ends up being united in a bigger way, you know, and which I think is incredible because years down the line, the world is going to be talking about what's happening in India right now. You know, what's happening at Shaheen Bagh, what's happening across the country. The other day, there is... Um, a playing ground very about uh, 30 minutes from my home. It's called the YMCA at the ground. There were about 5 lakh people who assembled there to protest against the CAA. And most of the people who attended the protest were women in hijab, clad in burqas, leading the protest. So it's really, I mean, you have really brought the, the women out of their homes, out of their comfort zones, taking on the streets and saying, we are not going to take this you know and that's why i think it's absolutely incredible what's happening with the populace but i mean obviously uh, i don't know how is this fascist government gonna get <laughs> booted out uh, but uh, we'll try coming we'll back 
coming back to uh, well, you're very vocal in the film industry now, and mm. it makes me question like you're one of the few people in the industry that's actually speaking up. And I think the big question for us outside because we've had protests here in South Africa as well. We've seen protests all around the world against what's going on in India, and it's been very disappointing for us to see that a lot of Bollywood has been very silent. I've unfollowed a lot of people, and I used to stand a lot of people and. Like yeah, I, it's been very disappointing. But Bollywood has paved the way as well. They've played a part in shaping this situation. Um, mm. Could you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I think uh, you know, Vasim. What really happens is that people, uh, especially in the film industry, uh, are very afraid to voice their opinions because they're constantly worried about uh, will their next film be able to have a decent release in uh, cinemas, you know, because we all see what happens when Deepika Padukone raises her voice and she stands up for yeah. a, a protest. Which is amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Twitter was uh, trending saying boycott Deepika, boycott her film, you know, and this is the kind of, uh, and I have read really horrible comments being thrown at Deepika. So it was ironic because right uh, before that, there were the, ABVP that was running in uh, JNU holding the bottles of acid, right? And these were the people who were then condemning Deepika when she is making a film on an acid survivor's attack, um, yeah. uh, saying that, you know, uh, let's boycott her. So it was really ironic about how the cookie is really crumbling in the fact of, you know, that people are really not understanding that what are they fighting about? Because I think blindness when you follow a certain uh, leader and you're not really thinking about the country or the constitution or the preamble in that sense is really it's 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 a it's a pressure situation um and i think that's why bollywood chooses to stay out of it they choose to be apolitical but i think my question always is as artists how can you be non-political you know because art exactly. is Art is political. You cannot take that away. The reason art was created was because it has to be political. There has to be a voice outside of the system which is creative and which is absolutely going to talk about everything unabashed, you know, unafraid. Uh, But I think... um, to think about again to bring in another sense is that to bring in another, another dimension this conversation is is Bollywood really artistic anymore <laughs> you know I mean it's just it's just turned out to be an industry that keeps churning you know it's just churning it's it's so mechanical you know they have a formula that works and they will use that formula and they'll just keep pushing that out so is it really artistic and then to call these people as artists is is yeah. it really right you know because if you know if you know if you're not going to be political about it you're not an artist. So I think... Um, what you just said in terms of like quality, it's like I think in South Africa as well, a lot of the Indian community, especially the young community, have stepped away from Bollywood movies for that exact same reason that it's just become a factory where they produce the same kinds of movies all the time. And we actually crave and hunger for movies like yours that are different, that are nuanced, that bring different like stories and highlight different issues within India because that's what we want to see now. We're really tired but, of that. I mean... I mean, taking what you both said into consideration, we still, despite the fact that we can debate whether Bollywood is um, artistic or not, it still has a huge cultural capital. And all over the world, people are consuming Bollywood. And for me, in some of the recent films that I've watched, I'm thinking about Kalang. I watched that last year. There's like subtle messaging that um, that sort of... Um, I don't know, it feels a bit like propaganda mm. in a way, like making you lean towards the government. And I feel like that's so dangerous. And as a person who loves Bollywood and who wants to go and watch the films, for whether it's art or not, I just want to feel, because I'm part of a diasporic community, I just want to feel close to my roots. And whether it's a craft movie that gets like two on IMDb, I just want to go watch it and feel something. And then I go there and then it's, it feels like propaganda. It's so sad. I don't know. As if that got like 8.9. Yeah, it's just I like saw that. I didn't bring that in. Yeah. <laughs> so, bravo. <laughs> but yeah, you were going to say something? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely bang on about the fact that Bollywood is leading massively in, into kind of putting out a great propaganda in that sense, you know. They are catering. So you need to also uh, understand where the monies are coming from. You know, the money is to make these big films like 
a tanaji you know which kind of totally uh, says muslims are bad people basically muslims are invaders yeah. muslims are bad people even for that matter even a uh, uh, padmavat uh, uh, you know sanjeela bansali's where you're showing ranveer singh as an invader who's sitting and chomping on racks of meat i mean yeah. what are you doing you know i mean who who are you really talking about and that's why you know i feel that being a a queer muslim filmmaker for me the responsibility just keeps on increasing cuz i need to set i need to set it right you know and that's why i mean it was so important for me after sisak everyone was like what is he going to do next you know is he going to be a one film wonder he's made one film which is one uh, you know so many awards is he done and when i announced shiv korma i i remember uh, when the poster came out and it actually shows two women two queer muslim women in a hijab were holding their foreheads next to each other and people were aghast because uh, they were like why are you doing this you're playing with you know uh, don't do this and don't get into this and i remember before actually even when i went around trying to make sheer karma happen i reached out to a lot of producers from the industry and when they read the script they said why are you making a a film about women because you know don't have women protagonists convert them into men and i said what the second thing they said was uh, why is it about a muslim family can it be about a hindu family i said what i said what do you what do you <laughs> you know and i remember one person said you know there is a perception you know about muslims you know they you have to kind of bring in some amount of uh, terrorism angle involved i said what the fuck are you people talking about you know the, uh, you know why can't it just be about a normal muslim family or family that i come from a family of that sort which needs representation in international media you know we are not barbarics we don't chomp on racks of uh, meat uh, you know we are not those people who why are we not telling our stories in our way and i feel that's why it's very important to tell our stories our way in our in our voices you know i also feel about this shubh mangal zada savdhan whatever Do you feel about that? I was going to ask you feel about that. It's just I honestly being a queer person, being a queer Indian person, I was cringing throughout the trailer. I was cringing. I was cringing on the fact that first of all, stop trying to mainstream queer in this way. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. It's just bad. It just looks disgusting, you know? It just looks like had I had to change uh, the the protagonist from being not a gay person but into a girl the the story would have still worked you know so is your film really queer it's not you know you've used cheap lines you've reduced it to again a slapstick sort of space where people are going to question your thing i mean let's talk honestly if the film was a right portrayal in any sense it it can be entertaining but it has to also be portraying the right thing in a small village in india if there was a guy holding a rainbow flag using it as a cape and talking about homophobia it's not going to happen he would have been shot by a gun by his own father that's what would have happened you know this is the india that is so i think um, films and filmmakers have a massive responsibility of what you're going to put out cuz uh, this is not the right interpretation at all you know about what happens in india it's just a bubble it's just a mainstream money making money churning the bubble you know and the people like you know whoever is acting in the film they just keep jumping on the thing because that's a cool thing now because says section 377 doesn't exist now there's a massive pink money that has you know come into play and they want to rake in that my question is why didn't you make this film way back when 377 was existing you know that's when people like me sold cars and put our apartments on rent to make films that we believed in and suddenly you have a non queer director directing a non queer cisgender actor in a quintessentially gay film which is a homage or a tribute to dilwale dulhania le jayenge which is again a very deeply problematic film so what are you really you're working with all negatives across the spectrum and out of those, out of those negatives how are you going to get a positive it's not going to come you know so i think um, also i feel i personally really feel that uh, mainstream really needs to be redefined in so many senses we con- consider mainstream to be toxic masculine or you know kind of dominated with male protagonists telling their tales and you know everything to be super dramatic things flying the 
crass dialogues being told loud music this is all toxic masculinity you know why cannot mainstream be sublime why cannot mainstream be gentle why cannot mainstream be feminine why what are we so afraid of why are we so afraid of femininity you know why are we afraid of being feminine in that sense you know just putting ayushman khurana in a nose ring is not going to help you know it just kind of it's so illustrative in that sense you know so it's not really going to bring forward any true change because people are, are still going to consider it to be, it's so token you know what i mean it's such great deal of tokenism happening through this film and i just feel that in all this a, a film like sheer karma and i was constantly i keep thinking about that like my next film sheer karma it's about the queer muslim women of color and i feel that in the mainstream spectrum where does my film fit in you know because people want this people want loud people want male dominated protagonists even in the queer spectrum there's so much of islamophobia in the queer spectrum there's so much of islamophobia in the country women don't have a voice be it in across the world be it in bollywood or be it even in the queer spaces women don't have voices you know it's always the gay men or the gay white men or the gay privileged men talking you know telling the story where are the women you know where are they you know and uh, it's just so i think given all of this i don't know if i constantly keep thinking of sheer karma as really is such a big risk to take uh, you know given the times that we live in and then i feel like maybe that's why it's so important you know because it's really going to talk about um, the most underrepresented uh, the most underrepresented community uh, you know in global cinema Mm. You also, I, I think, if I read, you can correct me on this. Uh, you were also going to direct your first feature film called Sabar. Can yes. you tell us about more about that, yeah. about that project? Yeah. So uh, it's right now. It's in uh, the pre-production. Uh, I actually wanted to cast a trans actor. for the film because i think it's only righteous to do so to cast a trans person for the role of a trans person i spent almost 2 years looking for a trans person uh, across the world and yeah because you know the the role in my film is about a trans woman who is in her early 50s you know and she is zoroastrian so she has to look a certain way and uh, yeah. india has no trans actors that's the truth of the matter you know i'm uh, india is not la you know I, and i'm not ryan murphy you know <laughs> you know uh, i if i host auditions for pose i won't have 5000 people show up to audition for it you know and all of them are going to be trans it's not going to be like that and that's again a reality that needs to be talked about and that's why i actually started the um, the free acting workshop for the trans community saying that i will fund it from my own pocket to find a appropriate actor for an appropriate uh, for the role of a trans woman unfortunately yeah. even after having spent so much money out of my own personal accounts i haven't been able to find a trans actor to play the lead role so in all probability in spite of searching so much it's going to end up being a cis het person playing the role of a trans woman but the truth of the matter is that at least i know i tried i tried for 2 mm-hmm. years you know i know I, Anurag Kashyap when he made Sacred Games he didn't even try to find a trans actor you know now Tanuja Chandra she made a short film called a monsoon date they didn't even try to get a trans actor they just cast Konkana Sen Sharma to play the lead in it and that was it and that was that you know and i feel that there's so much of um, disregard to the trans community people don't even try you know and i think that's again a very important thing to talk about is like are you really going to go out all and all out and about to at least try trying is important and i feel that so with sabra now it's in it's in pre production and uh, hopefully sometime this year i go on floor for the film and um, i'm still hoping that a trans actor will just surface out of nowhere and uh, fall in a lap well fingers crossed but if that doesn't happen i will have to go ahead and i will have to make a film because i know what it's going to do for the trans community you know it's going to destigmatize the trans community it's going to show because let's be honest uh, we we've, we've never made uh, in india especially we've never made a film about a trans person who does not live on the edges of the society we've never made a film about a trans person which is a family film i'm making a family film about a trans person because it is so important to bring the conversation about trans people into your 
halls and your living rooms and your bedrooms you know we have to bring it in we have to talk about it in a non arty in a non edgy way it has to be mainstreamed in that sense you know and i feel maybe 10 years down the line after seeing my film there will be some trans actors saying that hey they're making films about trans people we need to start being visible more you know we need to start considering acting as an option maybe you know maybe as a second career option while we have our day jobs that pay the bills so i think that sort of change will start happening hopefully uh, after sabra comes out and uh, i truly i really hope that um, sabra gets the right amount of um, support be it production be it you know um, <clears throat> the right audiences to watch it because i think it's just when people when i tell people that i'm making a family film about a tra- with a trans protagonist they're like what that's not it doesn't fit in but i'm like but well it does you know because every family i mean there are so many families across the world that have trans people in their families they don't want to talk about it which is a totally different thing but we do have trans people so i think uh, that conversation is very important for me as a filmmaker a question that just like popped in my mind now it's like okay you you dance suck you you're doing sheer koma it stars shubana azmi and swara baskar and considering your films are considered very controversial in that sense how hard has it been i know you've spoken about how, about how hard it has been to get a trans actor but how hard was it to get the actors that you have worked in terms of sasak and also with sheer kurma in terms of shabana as well because she's globally like she's, she's like she's an institution and so ara as well as actually become outside of the protests i mean she's been also been very vocal as well which i totally admire her film career so far has she's like been one of my favorite actresses so how did that come about and how how difficult was it you uh, so you know wasim when i actually um Rochir Gorma I was very adamant of the fact that I want to get mainstream actors for Shir Gorma it was a I went in with that mentality because I'm trying to break into the mainstream without selling my soul you know and yeah. I'm trying to you know you can't cross many bridges at once you have to cross one bridge at a time so when you're trying to introduce something which is so alien to people about having religion and sexuality in the same sentence it really upsets a lot of people so i needed very strong soldiers who are also very great actors who will be able to take this conversation beyond what i can achieve with my film you know they'll take it into the mainstream diaspora they'll take it beyond what i can reach you know and that's why um I wrote it, and the first person I actually reached out as an actor was uh, was Divya Datta. Uh, obviously, Divya is a national award-winning actor. She's recognized across the world, and uh, I told Divya, "This is the film I want to make, and uh, you know, I really want to uh, get the best cast for it." And in fact, it was Divya who recommended Swara's name, and it was Divya who recommended Shabana Ji's name for the role. And uh, I was like, "Yes, I'll definitely reach out to Swara," but I said, "Shabana Azmi, she won't do my film." <laughs> <laughs> why why do you say that and i was like i don't know i said i can't have shabana azmi read my film it's not it's not going to happen and she was like she said like, you've written a fabulous film you know i you know just give it to her and i was like no 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 it's not going to happen so i totally avoided shabana ji i went ahead i casted another actor i casted surekha sikri i don't know if you all know who surekha sikri is yeah so i i got her on board but then uh, because of surekha ji's health she got a, a paralytic attack 10 days before the film so i was lost i will i i didn't really have an actor i didn't really have a, a mother in the film there was divya there was swara but there was no mother and uh, we were struggling and then divya told me she's like do you now want to reach out to shabana ji <laughs> and i was like oh maybe i don't know <laughs> so this is how actually it happened as 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 filmy and as dramatic as it sounds at 2:30 in the morning i am lying in bed and i texted shabana ji saying uh, hi this is who i am and i have a film which is about this and i know it's too late in the day and i know you are holidaying in the uk so you might not even read this and you don't even like want to but i'm trying and i hopefully you know if you ever have time maybe we'll work in the future still not talking about the film and uh, shabana ji immediately messaged back in less than a minute she messaged back and she said email me the script right now if i like it i'm doing it and i was like what so i crawled out of my bed and i opened my laptop and i was just going through the script over and over again seeing if there are any 
any spelling mistakes, anything of that sort. And I was just like, oh God, let's go. And then I just sent it to her. And uh, she read the film in, I think, about 30, 40 minutes. And I was like lying awake in bed and I was seeing that she's online, she's online, she's online, she's online. And like, she's reading it, she's reading it, she's reading it. And I think at four in the morning, she texted me. She said, let's do this. Oh, wow. that is amazing. That's, that is so amazing. That is such a good song. Yeah, I was shook. I was like totally shook. I was like, I can't, I can't, I really can't. And it was intense. It was so crazy. And um, I remember the next day. And so it just happened. It happened overnight, really. You know, I mean, Shabana Ji came on the film overnight and uh, she was so incredible to work with because uh, given the, you know, the extensive amount of work and, you know, what she's done and what she's achieved in her absolutely stunning career, it was just a great lesson for me to work with someone like Shabana Ji and to like, I remember the first day I was shooting with Shabana Ji. <laughs> I have to tell you all this, this is absolutely gold. So I'm, I'm Shabana Ji and uh, she walks on set and I'm like shivering. I'm like, uh, I said, I can't say action and cut to Shabana Ji. I just can't. And people are like, calm down, take a breath. She's agreed to do this because she loves what you've written. Don't be a fool. And I said, okay, yeah. fine. So I go to her and I'm like directing her. I'm telling her the scene and this and that. And then she says, okay, I'm ready. And then we shot it. We got it. And I think the first take itself was brilliant. So being anal as a director, I said, Shabanaji, let's do another one. And, you know, if you can do this and if you can do that. And she was just looking at me like that. She was like, what does this boy want? And then she did another take. And I said, oh, this take is better. It was the first take. And then she actually went down to the monitor. She sat down and she sa said, show me both the takes, the first take and the second take. And I was like standing behind her as if like Shabana Azmi is checking my examination paper. She's going to give me a grade on it. And I was like, oh my God, have I failed as a director? Have I failed as a filmmaker? And she was watching it with her headphones on. I remember standing in the background, seeing her watch. And then she saw it. She took her headphones out. She turned to me and she said... What I really admire is that there is no male gaze on in your film. It's a beautiful, sublime, subtle gaze. Good job. I'm happy. And she walked away. Oh, wow. That's, that's such a compliment. That's such a high compliment. And I remember I didn't move. I was just like standing there <laughs> till my, my, my assistant came and she was like, are you okay? I said, I can't move. <laughs> I said, Shavana, as we just said, it's great. So let's do it. But yeah, it was, um, it was a beautiful, um, you know, beautiful relationship. And it was just very nurturing. She's very nurturing as an actor to the director. You know, she's very, um, uh, she's very, obviously she has great what she likes and what she doesn't like. She's very clear about that. Uh, but I think overall, what she's brought to the film is incredible. You know, I keep saying that when people watch Sheer Korma, they're going to really look at Shabana Azmi as the new mother India, you know. She's the mother yeah. India that we need now because uh, it's path-breaking in its own ways. We, we spoke, you spoke a little bit about Shab, uh, Aishman's uh, new movie, but uh, how did you, did you watch Sonam Kapoor's offering, uh, the Eklarki? Yeah. And what did you think how of that? that? I saw it on Netflix and I didn't know if I should watch it or not. I want to know your response before I make a comment because I I, 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 I want to know what you think about it. I know it's it's a story told again via the male gaze. Yeah. I, I know that it, that's problematic. But for me, I enjoyed just seeing the issue being brought up. I didn't watch it. I'm going to be honest. I just saw the trailer on Netflix and I said, should I watch this? I don't yeah. know. Um, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Sonam is a friend, so I don't know what, what I'm supposed to say or I'm not supposed to say. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, um, the, the problem is um, that when there is an elephant in the room, you need to address the elephant in the room. Unabashedly. Yeah. You need to talk about it. When you're talking about a queer relationship, is it has to be talked about openly. You cannot talk about it shoving it under the carpet and then lifting the carpet a little and being like, oh, you're there, we're going to talk about you now and then put the carpet down. Mm. It's very sensitive because, you know, subconsciously, the audience is deciding how to deal with things, you know, while watching films. They're deciding how to feel, they're deciding how to emote, how to take this forward. 
you're watching a film not just consciously but subconsciously so i think being a filmmaker it's a big responsibility being a storyteller it's a big responsibility on how carefully are you going to tell this story because it's going to translate to a big chain of thought a big chain of reaction in a very different way and i think uh, yeah i think that's you know so i think if you're going to do do it in a mainstream way you have to celebrate it absolutely beautifully yeah. you know and i think if that is not happening then i think it it doesn't really add up to much you know yes it made a noise it bought people people talked about it it got some support from the media the same is happening with ayushman's film now you know but in the largeness of it in a legacy of sorts is this the film you want to have in your legacy you know is a question i always want to ask it's not path breaking at all you know what parts are you breaking you've taken a mold that exists with its quintessentially mainstream and crass and you have tried to fit in queer characters in your crass mode so are you really yeah. doing it because you know it's now in it's cool because you're going to make a great deal of money are you doing it for that yeah of course you're doing it for that it's visible so then i feel that, that the motive is when the heart is not in place when the heart is not aligned to the telling of the story defeats the purpose i feel you know what you're saying is so interesting because i'm reading a book um and it's written by a feminist i don't know if you've heard of mona altahawi oh yeah and she's, she's my friend she's my friend. <laughs> she says if everybody is ready for what you putting out then it's not revolutionary so if yeah. you're doing something when it becomes mainstream it's not revolutionary so i feel like with your storytelling and and with the timing of what you're doing in the subject matter it's truly revolutionary because you're bringing up conversations that are not necessarily being had whether they're in india but even in the world you know so i 100% i'm so excited for Pushkarma yeah yeah and Sabar yeah so yeah, yeah no I have to I also want to uh, share this little bit about Sheer Karma is that it's not just about queer muslim women of color but it's also about uh, people who identify as non binary it's also going to bring in uh, the whole india pakistan conflict in the film uh it also so it is deeply political and it's uh, deeply social and it's not just what it seems to be it seems to be a very sublime tale of love and acceptance but it's beyond that it's layered to so many levels it's like a really good cake you know which is like it's a real good layered cake and every layer you dig into you're going to find a new flavor so i'm really talking about a lot of things i'm talking about um, great stuff and it's not just queer centric i mean it is queer centric but it really explores the entire spectrum of sexuality it explores the spectrum of nationality it explores the immigration it explores people who've moved away from homes you know to find a better life in new countries and so it's 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 a lot more than what it seems to be that sounds so amazing. exciting yeah uh, before you like you tell us like what are you consuming what are you reading what are you watching like what do you like to watch what's your favorite movie tell us tell us a bit more about what's you what's on your netflix watch list yes what, what's on your watch list what are you excited about yeah i'm i'm really obsessed with the show called and with an e um which i think is pretty path breaking in so many ways because it talks about the uh, the end of the 19 uh, uh it talks about the end of the 19th century and it talks about uh, women rights and these and it's told through the perspective of children you know it's told through the perspective of children who are discovering the place of a woman in a society the role that uh, sexuality has to play within all of this and it's told through such a gentle lens that it's just a beautiful show i'm also watching uh, i am a huge fan of uh, the paolo sorrentino who made uh, the great beauty which won uh, the oscar for best foreign film way back a couple of years back he's come up with the second season of his show called the new pope the first season was called the young pope and the second season is called the new pope it has john malkovich and it has jude law of course uh, and i'm massively obsessed with that show it's just i feel like when you have i mean it's so beautifully produced like every shot is on a jimmy jib every shot is on a track and when i see that kind of production value i'm like 
that shot might be the budget of my entire film <laughs> you know so uh, it's just uh, it's just so incredible to see that kind of filmmaking happening for you know really i mean if you all don't watch it you all have to watch the new pop it's i'm obsessed with that show and uh, yeah i mean that's what i'm watching uh, in terms of reading um, currently i read like five books at one time so uh, i'm pretty um, Same, 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 same. Yeah, so it's it's yeah, so it's like kind of they're just trying to soak it in as much as possible and you know run with it. So thank you so much for us for thank the you. conversation. Thank you, this was really cool. That was Faraz Arif Ansari, an Indian filmmaker from from India. Shaz, what did you think of the conversation? I quite enjoyed that conversation, and I was surprised. I don't know why I was surprised because um, just by watching that short film, I should have understood who we were speaking to. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that conversation. Going back to the short film, I mean, what I guess we I I wanted to ask him, but I forgot. But was the skill it takes to make a movie. and then the skill it takes to make a silent movie and to be able to convey emotions in that mm. is so like rare and it's 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 really a testament to his mm. skill as a as a storyteller of course so if you haven't watched the movie it is available on youtube you can go and watch it it's is free so you can go watch it it's 159 international award so you should know it's something good it's something different and um yeah watch it i really enjoyed the conversation as well favorite segment because i get to tell you what i'm consuming and a lot of the time it is serious sometimes it's also not serious mm-hmm. but also it's like i get like people get to see a little sliver of what we are about i guess yeah. in this instance yeah it's so weird because now i've been kind of obsessed with watching pamper routines oh. on youtube So it's so random because I I find myself I don't know why I watch such random things. Like okay, what, what is people, a what is a pamper for those of us who don't know? Okay, so it's literally people showing you what they do on the quote unquote self care pamper day. I like day. that too, but I didn't I never never knew it was called like a pamper thing. I like watching yeah, that. It's so I love it's, it. it's like you get ideas and you think and you listen to them talk and it's so relaxing and it's I just so relaxing and. What I've started doing is so every time it gets close to my birthday or if it's a new year or something like that I get I start thinking about how I'm going to change I'm going to like make drastic changes mm-hmm. and my new drastic change is to have a pampered day every week mm. because I've so I was having a conversation with one of my friends and she was saying girl like we can't control anything all the shit is going down all the time the only thing we can control is looking good and feeling good about ourselves so get your nails done get your hair done like have that pamper routine and feel like you know if you if you feel like you can sort of control yourself you can have a little bit of control over your life mm-hmm. so, I, it's, yeah. it's interesting you mentioned that you said once a week but I I, I don't remember who but i think it was last week for my for me like i i was reading something or i i i spoke to someone and they were telling me have 2 hours a day of self care and i was like that sounds like a lot but it's like why not why not 2 hours of the day where we just take time to do something for yourself and it can be anything as long as it's something that fulfills you and makes you refreshes you makes you feel good whether it's reading a book that you like to read even if it's mills and boons and but it makes you feel good like go for it do it like you know have that and i'm going to my like my my going forward this year is to just be more of that more about me more self care and stuff i was reading and listening to when they call us when you when they call you a terrorist by patrice can colors uh, the the one of the founders of the black lives matter uh, movement in america and wow what a memoir you should totally buy the book or buy the audiobook and listen to it it is such a treat i was in tears because it's not a it's a memoir but it's so well written and so well spoken it's it's also a uh, uh, 
uh, voiced by the author herself. So uh, it's just, I didn't feel like I was listening to something. I felt like I was immersed in her world when watching her life and I was so connected and so moved by everything. Like when certain things happened and someone passed away, I was literally sobbing at my desk at work and literally sobbing, sobbing. Like it was just so moving. So wow. those are the, the two things that I've been consuming. And yeah. Listening, in terms of listening, I've been listening to Mac Miller's album Circle. Oh, wow. So, you know, Mac Miller um, died of accidental suicide mm-hmm. um, overdose a few years ago. And this was sort of released posthumously. And yeah, I mean, I try sometimes when I like an artist and they like pass away or something, it's very difficult for me to listen to their music. But um, yeah, so all my friends talking about it, so I said, oh, might as well do it. And it's really good. And uh, how do you feel about that, uh, that whole releasing things posthumously? Because I know a lot of people are very critical about it. Like, I don't know how to feel about it. I'm on the fence. I also, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know, because sometimes it's difficult, I feel like, to be critical of something that's released posthumously because you have all those feelings like oh my word this person's not here and I feel like we're, we're sometimes just more accepting of something that's released posthumously and also then the press that it gets is more because the person died so it's not it's not a it's not a fair yeah it's the fair you don't the feelings you experience are not really fair to the, to the work at hand to the work and to the person I feel yeah, like yeah. But yeah, I listened to the album and it was really good and it made me feel sad and happy. So that's what we're listening to. If uh, Why don't you share with us what you're listening to? And reading. Yeah. We're very interested to know. Yeah. Until next time, see you again. Thank you for listening.